and welcome to another edition of the Ferncast. I'm here today with Simon Pemberton, the author on rural regeneration in the UK by Routledge, uh, published by Routledge. Uh, Simon, thanks for joining us. Okay, so welcome and uh, yeah, thank, thanks for uh, inviting me onto the call this morning. So those of you that don't know, Simon wrote the book on rural regeneration and is one of the reasons why we created Fern, um, because, you know, there is a big pressing issue with uh, rural areas. Um, Simon is an academic. Uh, is it Keele University, did you say? You're at? Yeah, I've been at Keele for just under 10 years now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the course you lecture at the moment, it's... Yeah, we, we have a, a third year module, so it's the final year, and a uh, wonderful title of Rural Geographies. <laughs> um, but yeah, it sort of captures all, all sort of different aspects of rural. So we sort of look at things to do with sort of housing, regeneration and development, planning, social exclusion, poverty, you know, those, those types of issues. Okay. So can you tell us more about your book, uh, what you wrote, and uh, and how you came to write that book? Yeah, okay. So um, obviously, I, in, a, in a sort of a past life, um, I worked for a, for a local authority before I moved into sort of the, the academic sector, and I was sort of head of, head of regeneration for the, for the local authority for four years. Uh, it was in North, in North Wales, and um, we did sort of all sorts of sort of interesting work on on regeneration, but tended to focus, as you say, typically on sort of urban areas. There was a little work, bit of work on the urban villages, but it was always the, the sort of rural parts of the of the the local authority area that seemed to to get left out. And, and belatedly, and sort of finally, we we, we sort of produced and published a, a sort of a rural development strategy for for, for, the, for the local authority. Um, and that sort of that got me thinking, really, in terms of the you know the sort of the the sense that you know regeneration in the context of rural areas, you know, there was certainly needs, but often not necessarily recognised or sort of identified. Um, and that was actually working in in the system in the in the public sector. So then, when I jumped sort of across into sort of academic life, I sort of took up sort of position in in, in in first in Liverpool and then Birmingham and then and then obviously Kiel later. It sort of stuck with me, really. And um, I used to teach a number of modules, certainly at Liverpool and Birmingham, on urban regeneration. But again, there was nothing on the rural. And having sort of reflected upon that and looking sort of all the textbooks that have been written on sort of urban regeneration, when I sort of had a look around for, for rural, there was there was nothing. There was, you know, a, a couple of textbooks on rural development. Um, some, obviously, a lot, quite a lot of work on rural poverty, sort of Paul Milbourne's work and Mike Woods and, and some of the others. Um, but nothing on rural regeneration. So yeah, that was sort of led to the, the sense that we, we needed to, you know, I need, certainly needed to fill that gap and I had something to say about that really. Okay. And um, how, what was the reception to the uh, book? Yeah, very positive. So initially, as you say, the, the, the process when you, when you do this is that you, you put the proposal in and it sort of gets sent off to different reviewers. And I think in, in this, thinking back about it, in this one, it, it went both, in the UK and beyond, actually. So whilst the textbook is predominantly around rural regeneration in the UK, sort of tried to write it in a way that it would be, uh, you know, sort of useful for audiences sort of elsewhere in, in the world. So it, and I think that was reflected in the reviewer comments that came back that, you know, from certainly I, I think I remember a comment from someone in Australia that this was definitely needed. It was very timely, um, you know, and actually would, would, you know, put more focus back onto issues that, that were sort of really relevant in, in rural areas so i mean the book specifically about the uk obviously but as you just mentioned australia um have you found any commonalities between different countries and has anything surprised you at all 
Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a really, really good question, actually. Um, you know, I think that there, there, there's, I think some of the, I think one of the challenge, one of the issues, perhaps one of the key differences, possibly, is is when you look at a country like the UK, um, you know, sort of, you know, per square kilometer, you know, in terms of density, we we are a quietly we are a quite densely populated country, and even perhaps some of our more remote rural areas. Um, and nowhere near as remote as some of the rural areas that we might find in, you know, parts of the US or indeed parts of parts of the Australia or parts of Australia. So that was that was quite interesting, you know, that that sort of sense. And I think this has been picked up in some of the the OECD sort of rural policy reports that you know when we talk about rural in the UK, it's it's a different type of rural. It, it's sort of the way in which we think about you know it's way, the way in which the rural is sort of represented. It's the symbolic rural perhaps which makes. Which makes the rural rural. It's it's sort of a different type of rural than perhaps not what we would see in in other parts of the world, and I think that then also reflects on the types of strategies that um, that that sort of maybe governments and sort of policymakers uh, sort of develop. So if you think about um, you know if you think about sort of the issues around sort of the importance of planning and sort of place making and and sort of you know trying to sort of sustain rural communities. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that I found in Australia was that, um, you know, there was a lot of work going on around place marketing to, to try and a, both retain people who were already there, but to ac- actually attract individuals back to communities in Australia um, because of the skills and sort of, you know, sort of that, that sort of social capital that they would sort of bring back. And, and I think, you know, we can see sort of evidence of that in the UK, can't we, over the over the last sort of 30, 40 years. I remember the, develop, the old development board for rural Wales in the sort of 70s and 80s, sort of creating lots of factory units in, in rural, you know, rural mid Wales. And the idea again, you know, there's lots of posters on the tube in London trying to get people to, to move back to Wales. So, you know, I think there's some interesting differences in terms of, you know, the, the sort of the, the, almost what I'd say the size of the rural, you know, sort of the issues around sort of population densities and, and sort of, uh, you know, that, that sort of aspect that, that can differentiate the UK. But I think there's still, I think there's commonalities as well in terms of the way in which people think about how we might sustain rural community and what might be required. And, and you know, and that sort of idea about the importance of place and what's in a place and what that means for, for, for different people. Right. Okay. And going back to the idea of the UK or the kind of, you know, rural UK, in your book, you talk about the rural middle, which is a, a brilliant phrase. Uh, can you tell us more about that? And, um, you know, uh, is there any, you know, changes to the UK government's approach since you're writing that book? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a really, really important point. I think where, where I was coming from on this, and, and this is reflected, I think, in some of the some of the literature on sort of rural poverty and deprivation, you know, is, is the sense that, you know, the challenges of rural areas are often sort of culturally screened out by this, this notion of the ill, the ideal, you know, the sense that rural areas are sort of problem free, you know, these sort of sanitized sort of, you know, sort of chocolate box, um, you know, places where, you know, people, sort of live and work in, 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 in sort of harmony and, um, you know, the sense that there isn't really the challenges there. And and I guess coming back to that issue around sort of densities of population and, you know, thinking about poverty, for example, you know, you walk through many urban areas and poverty's there, it's in your face, you can see it, you know, it's, 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 it's evident. 
it's much more individualized in the rural, you know, in terms of the, the fact that you, you know, it's it's sort of not necessarily as spatially as concentrated as what you would find in in urban areas and and consequently because of that the problems become more individualized but actually then become you know less evident um and therefore you know the this sort of sense of the idyll about you know certainly in 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 you know you think about the uk you know there's an idyll around preserving the rural um, you know, something about protecting the rural from the urban, you know, this sort of urban encroachments and urban sprawl. And and also, um, you know, thinking about the rural as a sort of a, you know, traditionally, certainly in the, the post-World War II period, as, a, as a, a place of sort of agricultural production, you know, a sense that, you know, it's important in terms of that sort of whole notion around food security, which is actually starting to come back in a little bit, given some of the the issues and challenges in 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 sort of you know in, in parts of Europe at the moment um, and beyond. Um, so yeah, so there was this sense that you know the challenges and problems were being sort of sc- this screening out. But it's an interesting sort of concept, the rural idyll, because as you say, if you go to other parts of the world, and again, if you think about the North North American sort of context, you've also you almost got an, an anti idyll going on there. You know, the rural is something there which is not necessarily this this sense of um, you know, something that needs to be preserved in aspects, something that's, um, you know, this sort of chocolate box image of the rural having no problems. In, you know, in those sort of, in those areas, it's something which is much more dangerous, perhaps, something that needs to be overcome, you know, this more sort of... wild. In yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so you've got that anti-idyllic sort of sense. So so that was, yeah, so that's, that's really important because what then obviously tends to happen is that, you know, there's a real resistance, you know, and in certain rural areas. And I come back to the, the sense that when we talk about the rural idyll, it, it's it's a differentiated rural idyll, you know, back to, and again, back to the point that not all rural areas are the same. And we, you know, particularly in this country, in the UK, we tend to get the government thinking about the rural as as one. It, it, it's, you know, something which is, uh, you know, a homogenous sort of entity, and it's not. It's a very what we have in the in the UK is a very differentiated rural, and therefore, you know, the sense of what the idyll is is also very differentiated. So, you know, in more pressured rural areas, perhaps more accessible rural areas, what you have obviously is you know commuting sort of incomers coming in who want to preserve what's already there, and that sort of then sort of feeds and sort of you know trickle down into sort of planning arenas and sort of that sense then that you know it becomes very difficult to 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 to, to do anything. Uh, from a development perspective in the rural. Whereas in other rural areas, as you say, those areas perhaps that are less accessible, that are more remote, you know, that that sort of idyll perhaps is a bit more diluted. It, there's different sets of issues that, that become important. And it sort of takes us back to the work in the early 1990s that sort of Jonathan Murdoch and Terry Marsden did when they talked about this notion of the differentiated rural and different types of countrysides that we see and different sort of demands on that countryside as a consequence and therefore the you know the way in which the idyll works is also sort of quite variegated as well so with that topic in mind um i was reading some notes recently and they were talking about a certain ossification of rural areas and obviously this feeds into the rural little concept how do you find that uh, is detrimental to development? I mean, not just housing or community development, but, you know, regeneration in a sense, because um, 
I mean, take my local area, for example. You've got the Lake District there. It's absolutely stunning. But you've got the Lake District National Park with its planning regulations and stuff, which effectively has blocked out any future developments, bar a few uh, choice houses here and there on the social housing uh, point. Um, But do you think this kind of antiquated notion of rural areas or the chocolate box picture... um, uh, do you think that's detrimental to actually future development? Um, yeah, it's a really good question, isn't it? How, how, what, you know, what do you do, and 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 how do you come? Com- I just sort of overcoming, you know, and, and sort of, I guess the the obvious response to that question would be, well, sustainable developments. You know, in this sense that you know we we need to do things in a in a, in a sustainable way, and. You know, and I think there's some evidence of that. You know, in terms of you know, even if you look at the planning, you know, guidance and regulations for you know, in in, in relation to rural areas of of the United Kingdom, you know, there's the sense of the differing sort of capacities of communities to to accept and and sort of take, uh, you know, additional sort of developments and and, and infrastructure, um, but. Yeah, there, I mean, you know, looking at the, the the discourse on, you know, if you think about rural planning and it, and its relation to sort of developments and regeneration, you know, there's a sense that planning gets in the way. This it sort of blocks development that it need, you know, that that sort of whole process needs to be freed up. And of course, you've then got that sort of challenge then of, on the one hand, you know, trying to, you know, encourage developers, trying to encourage the private sector, trying to encourage new forms of investments. Um, you know, not necessarily any investment, but you know, I think there's, the, I think there's a sense. My sense now is that you know, speaking to different rural local authorities a- across England, you know, they're much more selective now in terms of what types of jobs and what types of investment that they, you know, are seeking to to attract in, in you know, or even develop from from within in in in, in those in some of those areas. Um, but yeah, it's that sense of how do you how do you sort of release, you know, relinquish some of those regulations and controls, but in a way which is sustainable for those areas in, you know, in the medium to longer term? And, and that's a real challenge. And as you say, you've mentioned the lakes and the, and the and Lake District and the National Park areas. And, you know, you've got real challenges there because of the, you know, the, the very tight sort of restrictions on, on development. But, you know, I think you've got to look at those those sort of issues and how do you overcome them? I, mean, I, I was in the Lake District in April and I was speaking to somebody from the National Park and they were saying that, you know, in certain communities there, eight in 10 properties are now sort of let out as sort of, you know, Airbnb, second second homes, you know, sort of holiday homes. And that, that creates all sorts of challenges for those types of areas. Mm-hmm. If you go to Anglesey in, in sort of, you know, Northwest Wales, it's the same issue. You know, you sort of walk around those places and there's nobody there for half the year. So... Yeah, it's it's trying. It's that the trick, as you say, is trying to do it in a way which is reflective of you know. I think it comes back to the importance of place and place context in a way. You know, in the sense that different places have that have different concepts, different capacities, perhaps for development. Um, and how do you do that in a way which is which is sustainable for that area? Um, you know, we tried it through things like you know, if you look at the housing sort of side of things. You know, we've had rural exception schemes uh, set up. So these are sort of, you know, developments just which are were allowed sort of on the edge of communities that wouldn't normally get planning permission on the basis of trying to, you know, connect, develop 
you know, and, and construct housing which meets local need, but trying to then identify what is local need and making sure that that property then goes to local people is a much more difficult process. So, yeah, it's not not an easy sort of sort of thing to square up, really. Uh, how do you see the areas in terms of demographics these days? Because obviously, um, at least in the UK context, mm. many of the houses are quite expensive um, yes. in rural areas. And so young people or people who live locally are not, earning, are not on the earning capacity to purchase many of these houses. And, up, and then, you know, uh, you have the retirees who are moving in, um, mm. which is, um, I'm, I'm not sure on the... the data on how many are but uh, it, it does seem to be a, a bit of a trend that they move from the urban areas to the rural areas and they are the ones you know purchasing the half million pounds 700 grand houses um now how do you see that as a trend because obviously you know uh areas are only as good as their working age populations at the end of the day yeah. right yeah. um and uh, you know if you have you know a growing population of old people then obviously it puts pressure on to the uh, you know uh, health system and mm. uh, and then so on and so forth so mm. what, what are your thoughts on that uh again great question actually really really good and a really important point as well isn't it um it it it, it, it is it it's it's again it's 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 difference in different parts of the uk so you know you, you take some of the maybe some of the areas some of the more rural areas around obviously in rural areas but you know more sort of sense of rural rural around the sort of london and the southeast you've got real real pressures there you know and particularly it's 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 from commuting it's from people working in the city and you know wanting that rural lifestyle and, and what you see as it is is an increasing sense i think there's two things there isn't it i think on the one hand is you've got an increasing sense of distance if you if you look at some of the the evidence You've got people moving further and further away and commuting in because they're trying to overcome that challenge of 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 cost of of, of property. And as you move further out, obviously that the, on on average prices will 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 sort of drop a little bit, and then that then becomes dependent upon sort of accessibility and, and mobility. And well, do you not think? Uh, but to interject, do you not think, yeah. for example, that um, remote working has probably had. Uh, you know, percentage knock-on effect because people are only going in yeah. half the time to their offices, now, aren't they? Yeah, I was just coming to that point actually. Yeah, so I think on the one hand, you've got that sort of sense of that that movement being taken place over time, but then of course with COVID and the pandemic, um, you know, that sense of home working, you know, that that culture around home working has changed, has changed everything. So again, an example, an interesting example of this: talking to somebody who lives in um, Newtown, which is a a town in the middle of Wales, quite 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 remote in some ways. But works work was working for the uh, Bank of Wales, which is based in Cardiff. So before the pandemic, uh, would probably spend three or four days of their week down in in Cardiff, and then come back up to Mid Wales for and work a day at home. Now predominantly working from home permanently, and just travelling to Cardiff for once every two or three weeks, just for a, for a, a catch up main meeting, and then did all doing all the other work from home and and. and Predominantly, that's worked for that individual because of the fact that, as you said, there's been a change, cultural change in the way in which that organisation is working, um, and also because of the connectivity that that individual has had in in the context of Newtown, you know, reasonably good, super fast broadband in in in, in that area. So, yeah, I think there there has been a shift. I think maybe that shift. I'm just thinking about this. 
maybe that shift was overemphasized. So I think, you know, as we started coming, as we were in that COVID pandemic, global pandemic period, you know, there was a real sense that actually, if you had really good sort of internet connectivity and, you know, the quality of place was really important in terms of certain rural locations, then longer term, there was going to be this fundamental shift away from the urban, you know, back back you know into the rural and that's going to put real pressure on particularly on rural areas that had good good internet connectivity in terms of you know contributing to you know pushing up prices of housing and sort of creating new demands in those types of areas i think reflecting on, upon it now sort of you know 18 months sort of further on my sense is that maybe that those pressures are not quite as great as what we were originally envisaging i think you know that we talked about before we started anything young young you know, young people still want to, in, in many respects, and some of the opportunities that that then provides. So, I do think I do think home working is here to stay. I think culturally, I think we've moved on, but I'm not sure we've moved as far as what some people were thinking. Uh, and I think that then has it does have, does have implications um, for different rural areas. And we know that you know, super fast broadband in the UK. I think there's something like we've got 92 percent coverage in in rural. But there's still eight percent of, of of you know places that, that don't have that. So, um, so I think I think you know I'm trying to come back to the question that you answered that you asked me. It's a really difficult answer again because I think it just varies. I think the, the, the pressures on housing, for example, and development are just different in different parts of the UK at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, second your know, second home ownership Airbnb is a real challenge for some of the sort of r- rural areas that you know have that idyllic sort of sense and maybe are connected to sort of some of the coastal you know, sort of areas as well in other parts of the uh, parts of the uk I was, again i think i was talking to somebody about this the other day i think some of the upland communities some of the rural upland communities are really struggling at the moment yeah in terms of a the, their economy and the impact that brexit's had but also in terms of young people you know people leaving still leaving those areas so i think there is this sense that Certain areas are sort of doing quite well in some respects in terms of, you know, but also have challenges in terms of the pressures because of people moving in and sort of the, the demands that are being put on infrastructure, but other areas are still losing population. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned about the internet thing. So I don't know if you saw, but the Elon Musk's SpaceX recently reduced the price of um, uh, their Starlink thing to 99 quid for rural areas. But we did some research on what defined as rural, and you know, uh, Central Sheffield and Leeds were classed as rural. So um, you know, it seemed to be quite a broad brush um, yes. for that offer. But I suppose that now gives you a hundred percent, you know, uh, broadband activity uh, in the UK, and the UK government was supporting that in some form or another. I don't know if this was subsidised by the government this offer, or it was a bit of a catch-all thing. Um, but the remote working, we we had a chat last week with um, a couple of weeks ago with Tracy Keogh uh, over at uh, Remote Work Island, Go Remote Island, sorry, and um, it's an organisation there that um, you know uh, is looking at the benefits of remote work, um, and the Irish government, in comparison to the UK government has been very, uh, you know, uh, forward-thinking, it would appear, uh, with their kind of push. But obviously the context in rural Ireland is slightly different, again, to, say, 
you know, Scotland or England uh, or Wales, um, there are, you know, you've got the west of Ireland, which has been heavily depopulated in recent years. So that's one of their pulls to try and get people out. Dublin. Do you think things like remote working are, uh, you know, potentially a long-term strategy, or do you think it's actually, you know, just a, uh, you know, a short-term stopgap? Because, you know, there's been lots of talk about companies trying to pull people back in again. But in comparison, for example, there's the uh, organisation we interviewed him a few months ago um, in the US, the Centre on Rural Innovation, uh, and one of their big uh, projects is um, moving tech workers, so high pay, high paid tech workers, uh, outside of San Francisco and Silicon Valley to other states in the US. Now, obviously, the US is a much bigger case study than um, the UK, but their emphasis was that you know instead of uh, looking at these towns in the kind of context of the town itself or the agricultural community that was already there they were transplanting these companies to these towns oh. in Vermont and other places like that in Maine, I think it was, um, and other places. Uh, and that was a, a really interesting concept because they were basically bringing in new populations. Uh, uh, Do you think that's a potential trend over here or not? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, there's certainly... I mean, I can provide opportunities in, in rural areas, can't it? But I think there's some challenges of that approach as well. Um, you know, I think you're you, 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 almost back to the Richard Florida sort of thesis, you know, back in the 90s, you know, what, what, what do we, you know, when the urban urban areas were, you know, some of the, the US cities were trying to go for for sort of regen regeneration, you know, what, what were they sort of promoting? It was the three T's, isn't it? Talent, tolerance, and technology. And if you get that, those three things into place, then your, your city and your urban area is going to regenerate itself. And I was thinking, well, you know, if you're trying to do that in the rural, it's maybe it's slightly different, isn't it? I mean, there's something about, you know, certain features of rural places, perhaps that, that, that would be attractive to try and, you know, if you, if you were sort of moving down that type of route, um, but I'm not sure. I mean, clearly there would be challenges, you know, culturally, if you take certain parts of rural Scotland and rural Wales and you sort of try to, you know, impose that type of blueprint on, you know, re regenerating. It's sort of it's sort of top down in a little way, isn't it? It's sort of not not sort of bottom up, sort of sort of exogenous. It's, it's not what we've been, you know, when you think about the rural, one of the things that is characterized is by small and medium sized enterprises, you know, there's a preponderance of, of those types of businesses in, in rural parts of the UK. And, you know, rural businesses generally tend to be quite small. So it's about, you know, for me, it, it would be a, a sense of what could we do from within the rural in a way to try and promote you know, yeah, new forms, land-based, yeah, yeah. land-based initiatives, or you know, LinkedIn to see, you know, I think LinkedIn to sort of new technological developments, looking at some of the ways in which you know the, the, those types of sort of businesses, so they're not lifestyle businesses, you know, they're high-end, high-value, high-growth, you know, that that's the key. The key to that then becomes education and skills, doesn't it? But it also then becomes about housing infrastructure access to local services so you know in a sense you can you can transplant businesses from from one place to another but you know the the, the sense of whether they the workers are going to stay very long mm. if they have if you haven't got the other facilities in place means that, that you know that that can be quite a flawed concept 
So I'm thinking, you know, when you're trying to do this, you can't just look at, you know, the business. You need to look at everything in a cultural way in, in, in the round. Yeah. yeah. And so it, culturally, yeah. you know, housing, sort of local services, you know, the whole sort of quality of place issue. And, you know, my sense is that maybe there's some, there's some, some, some sense that that as a strategy might work to a degree, but my, my sense would be also about what can we really do to try and develop young people, you know, in terms of skills, setting up new businesses. There, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that that's, that's absolutely critical to me. So um, where, do you where do you see the rural uh, regeneration projects in the UK going in the next few years? Uh, that's again. That's, that's a really difficult one because if you take the traditional model of of regeneration, you know, regeneration in, in terms of a definition is that it's uh, it's about intervention. It's about you know sort of intervening in areas of market failure um, and trying to sort of pump prime you know sort of private sector investment, bringing that back in and sort of utilizing sort of public funding, which you know which which you know to to do that otherwise in a sense that things wouldn't happen otherwise and. So that model of regeneration has been really problematic since sort of 2008, you know, with the, the sort of crash and sort of credit crunch and, you know, of all those things around austerity and public sector retrenchment since 2010. And, you know, a lot of local authorities have lost the capacity, um, you know, to, 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 to do that. It's not it's just in capacity in terms of funding, but also in terms of, of people on the ground as well to, to try and support that type of activity. So I think the regeneration model that we we now have is a very different one to what we we we've had previously in terms of the ability of the public sector to 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 do that. Um, you still got the sense of you know competitiveness going on. So if you just even think about the recent announcement, last year's announcements around investment zones for for the UK, you know initially that that was sort of a the typical beauty contest where areas were invited to come forward regardless of whether they were rural or urban and, and sort of put their ideas for for setting up investment zones which would help to facilitate you know the, the private sector and, and new new private sector investment to come in you know that that switched quite quickly into a focus around combined authorities and urban areas in the uk and you know a sense that the rural areas have lost out because of that and what what therefore can they can they do and you know to what extent can they piggyback on the on the, the back of area, urban areas that have had that that investment so are we back to trickle down again and we know that that doesn't necessarily work in practice if you look at some of the so the market town initiative regeneration programs you know the extent to which they they sort of you know the trickle down from those into wider rural areas happened was was yeah you know i think there's there's questions around that so I think it's difficult. I think you know the, the the funding from the public sector isn't necessarily there. The capacity to do this, and particularly in more rural local authorities, isn't necessarily there. Some of that staffing's been stripped out over the over the last ten years. So what are you left with? Well, what you're left with is 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 back to what traditionally regeneration in the rural has always been about. That community sort of you know community delivered, community led, community sort of shaped regeneration. That, that sort of bottom up approach but again that that that's not necessarily fair on rural communities the capacities of, of local people to do this again are very different across different rural communities you know the sense that in in some rural areas a good example in again in northwest wales a number of years ago you know there was a 
literally every person you could think of that you needed to deliver a regeneration program lived in this particular community and, and off they went you know so you had lawyers planners you know everybody who would be involved in that in other places you just haven't got that capacity so you know to rely on communities to do this themselves will lead to a very patchy sort of you know sort of sense of what will happen what, what, what can or would would happen and i don't think they, that, that communities should be left to it i think you still need that support from you know from from above in a way it, it is it isn't you know this this idea about devolving power and responsibility is great but you need also to think about the resources that go alongside that so i think it's going to be difficult it's a, it's a difficult process and again when you think about the fact that we've left the the uk's left the eu we've lost the leader you know the leader in the, the whole sort of area around community-led local developments we've uk governments tried to replace this with rural prosperity funding but it's not at the same level. It tends to be focused on capital, not on revenue. Um, so again, that causes its own challenges. So I think it's a, it's a really challenging environment. Have you got any more research out recently that people can have a look at or how can they contact you? Um, I think yep. uh, there's probably a lot of people who want to have a chat with you. So yep. So yeah, so if you want to to contact me, um, based at Keele University, so if you just type Simon Pemson Keele, you'll you'll find me straight away. Contact details uh, are there. Yeah, so in terms of the work that's going on at the moment, um, particularly sort of working doing, doing sort of the, in terms of taking the work forward, to two two areas in particular. One, um, doing some really interesting work at the moment, looking at, at that sort sort of whole area around investment zones, free ports, and sort of the implications. Uh, for, for for rural and what what rural areas and what what the equivalent might look like or what might be required in rural areas, um, you know, in comparison to the fact that we've got these investment zones now set up on 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 sort of urban areas, but also thinking about how, you know, how sort of urban areas that are getting this type of support from the government, you know, what what's the sense in terms of how that 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 investment resourcing can be utilized in the context of the rural because come back to the point that rural and urban areas are, are interdependent they're not mm. divorced from each other so i think there's a real opportunity here even with the fact that the investment seems to have gone the investment zone approach has gone more urban how how we can utilize that in in the context of the, the rural as well so i think there's some interesting work going on there and then second area which i'm really been doing some really interesting work around is is around um how do we make rural communities sustainable in in the longer term we've got this you know sense of a you know move to net zero and sort of zero carbon and you know i think what i'm really interested in there is how do we make that a just transition so that rural communities are able to to fully participate in that and you know there's all sorts of challenges there around you know the decarbonization transports and the fact that rural, rural you know rural people are more reliant on on, on transport, they travel much further. So how, what's the implications of decarbonisation of transport for rural communities? Um, I've also done some really interesting, just thinking about this, some, some really interesting ideas about about regeneration in the rural, because, um, you know, the sense is that, you know, does, 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 does you know, local-level community-based regeneration work? I, 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 I sort, of, sort of finish on this in a way, but sort of drive through, parts of where I live in North Wales and I sort of drive through communities in rural communities and I sort of look at them and I'm thinking these areas look the same there's just nothing that's changed in these areas in 15 or 20 years why what, what's going on here and so I've been doing some work which has actually looked at sort of 
you know, some some key regeneration programs that have been targeting some of these rural areas, and, and the sense of what what's happened as a consequence of them. You know, is it the fact that they are working, but actually, what's happening is that just people are just moving on and moving out of these rural communities, and therefore, to an extent, if you track it across the individual, there's a real benefit to some of these programs. But in terms of the, you know, if you take a territorial area based approach to the rural. It just looks like nothing. Nothing's changing because you've got this constant cycle, like the moving escalator. We talk about people moving in. Sorry, people moving in and, and, and moving out. Um, you know, is is that the sense of, of what's happening, or is it the fact that just it's just it just you know there's a real sense that regeneration is problematic. It, you know, it's it the, that many rural communities are, are where they are today is not something that's happened over three or five years. You know, it's it's generational and therefore problematic policies working on expecting to get benefits in three to five years and programs set up for that that period of time so you know my sense you know there's some real i've got some really interesting sort of work going on there which is just looking at different rural areas and looking at the centers you know are they working or not and if they are working what's going on here is it is it the fact that people are not staying and they're moving and therefore if that's the case what do we therefore need to do to think about changing that dynamic in a way and, and making these areas more attractive to, to live and work. So some really interesting sort of work there around sustainable rural regeneration. Brilliant. Brilliant. Simon, I want to thank you again for joining us today. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will love to hear this one. Uh, we'll hope to have you again soon and uh, keep everybody informed about your projects. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, really, really uh, yeah, fascinating sort of conversation. And uh, yeah, really pleased to, to be sort of talking to you this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much.